Hey friends, this is Ray Kozak and you're listening to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. Today is day number 47. We have, oh, did you see it? A new book, and it's probably not one of your favorites. The book of Leviticus. That's where we are. And we're going to read or, or reflect on chapters 1, 2, and 3. And we also have from the Gospel of Mark, we're jumping into that great stuff there. But you might be thinking, how am I ever going to get through the book of Leviticus? I don't know. <laughs> 16 days of reading. Can you do it? I think you can. I want to back up, though, and kind of think of why Why is there a book of Leviticus in the first place? Well, it's named after Levi, the Levitical priesthood. It's how the priests would do things. And so let's think of what they would do and why they would do it and why this book is in here. Because this book is a challenge to read. It's counter world. It's a different world from where we are. And there's a whole bunch of, we might think of it like full of laws. There's so many rules and laws. And I want to back up and think of why there is this book in the first place. So stick with me. I won't, I won't try to be too long here, but remember how we ended yesterday in the book of Exodus. It says that after they built the tabernacle, the cloud, the cloud of glory filled the tabernacle. And the glory of God was, was there filling it. And not even Moses was able to enter the tent of meeting. Not even Moses was good enough uh, to be in God's presence. So the whole point of Leviticus is, is this, that God, who is holy, dwells with his people or desires to dwell up close and personal with all his glory with his people. The problem with that is that, well, we are not a good and holy people. And so God has to uh, prepare us so that uh, we might dwell with him, that he might dwell with us. Think of, uh, you know, like Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. It's pretty cool. I'm, I don't know if it happened, if it's a conspiracy or if it actually happened, but if it did happen, as we uh, many people think it did, you know, think of all the preparation that Neil Armstrong and, and all the guys there had to prepare for. They had to you know, think of the planning. They had to get the space shuttle, the space suits, the right amount of oxygen, the right amount of, of propeller stuff, the right amount of uh, tang. Is that it? Uh, this powder orange juice to stay alive out in space. I don't know. All the things they had to do. And then Neil Armstrong takes his first steps on the moon. Think of all the things that could have gone wrong. His suit, the the shuttle, everything. And sometimes in in spacecraft, those things do go wrong, and we see just how horrible it is. Well, how much more preparation do we need to dwell in the presence of a holy God? That's kind of what Leviticus is about. It's about getting us a holy suit. You probably have heard the word atonement. It literally means cover, cover our sins. So this whole book of of Leviticus is is God showing us how he will cover our sins. And in some of them, you know, there, well, maybe it's just pause here a second. Think. There's kind of like three things I want to take away, and I won't go into these in detail today, but maybe as we go through, uh, the first one is this. Um, there are a lot of laws in Leviticus, a lot of very good laws, and they're good because God is good. But not all of these laws are 
are relevant or applicable to us today. Just like in America, there are certain laws that are no longer on the books, or they're on the books, but they're no longer relevant. Well, same as as these laws. Not all of them are for us today. The ones that are for us today are, well, they're simple ones. You shall love your neighbor. You know, there's the ones about that kind of conform to what we call the, the Ten Commandments or the natural laws. It's like gravity. It's just, it's a given. It is the way the world works. And uh, so some of those are like, um, you know, you shall not um, sacrifice your children to, to demons. You know, you shall not seek knowledge through sorcerers. You, uh, you know, should shall be sexually pure. These things are the moral laws that are still relevant still applicable. And then there's a whole bunch of ceremonial laws. This is about how, uh, to, what ceremonies to go through so that God can safely dwell with us. Now think, this is a camp. They're traveling through like a city to go to the promised land. And there's a lot of them. And it says that God's glory is there in the camp. And so um, there are certain things they have to go through in order to be holy. And these are no longer relevant. These are no longer applicable. These have been fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus is the one who now makes us ceremonial, ceremonial, ceremonially pure. He gives us a space suit, a, a holy suit. John 15, 3 says, you are clean by the word I've spoken to you. And we can talk all about that. Uh, we also see there's a whole bunch of punishments in this book. Sometimes the people were, you know, sent outside the camp temporarily until they would be cleansed. Sometimes they are just taken out of the community by death. And all of this is about um, keeping this community holy, right? Some of these uh, reasons for capital offense would be uh, certain sexual sins or child sacrifice, worshiping demons, uh, even blasphemy, uh, using God's name uh, and cursing it. So, so, the main, so that's, my point is this, that there are a lot of really good laws, and it's full of, Leviticus is full of really good laws, but not all of them are for us today. Like there's ones like, you shall not get a tattoo. Well, that's, that is not applicable today. Whether or not it's wise or not, that's up for you to decide, but um, that's not, those kind of laws are not for us today. Second thing is that the main point of Leviticus is not the law capital L, but the gospel, capital G. The very center of what we call the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five books, uh, Leviticus is in the middle. And then think, what is in the middle of Leviticus? It's chapter 16, and that is the Day of Atonement. That's where we get the scapegoat who, whose sins, well, there's two of them. One covers our sins, and one uh, it carries our sins away in the wilderness. And that is gospel. That is good news. And that is a sign, a prefigure, a leading up to Jesus, who both whose blood covers our sin and also carries away our sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the main point of Leviticus is not all the laws, but the gospel. And some of these gospels, some of this gospel looks like sacrifices. And it seems like it's what the people have to do. And there's a lot of different ones. We'll talk about them down the road. But the the main thing is that God is doing something. God will, will rather than carrying out his wrath on the people, he will, um, he will use the blood of the animals. And there's a lot to cover the people's sins, to 
accept them and to make them holy. So, uh, God's glory is scary, but it's not because God is mean, but because he's holy and we're sinful. And so he makes a way. And this way that he makes for Israel, again, prefigures what he will do in Jesus. All right, so that's the second thing. Uh, the main point of Leviticus is not the law or the laws, but the good news, the gospel. And the third thing, and we won't really talk about much of this today until we get to, I don't know, chapter 8 or so, is that there is God is working to restore his creation. Remember paradise? Remember the Garden of Eden? That is God's goal, is to dwell with his people in his glory and in their glory and with everything restored, everything beautiful. And so there's, uh, God is at work to do that. And we'll pick this up later, but some people call this the book of the, uh, get this, the um, eighth day new creation. That's what Leviticus is about making it so that we might live out the eighth day of creation. And if that makes no sense to you, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll get into it later. There's The number eight is really important. It's the number of people who were uh, saved on the ark. It's the the number of days when a, a boy would be circumcised. It is, uh, it's, the, it's the last day of Passover and unleavened feast. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, it is the day of new creation. It's the day Jesus rose. So if that all is like, what are you talking about, Reiko? Don't worry about it. We'll get to there later. I'm not going to spend hardly any time here in the book of Leviticus except to say this. This. Uh, It starts like this. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, and he goes on uh, for many, many chapters. All that to say that this book of Leviticus, it comes from God. And as we said, it's, it is relevant in many ways. In other parts, it just points us forward. But it is also gospel, and it is also um, sets us on a course of living the right life. As you read today, chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's a lot of different offerings and ways to bring them. There's whole burnt offerings, and these would be uh, the whole sacrifice goes up before the Lord. And there is sin sacrifice, there's guilt sacrifices, there's peace sacrifices, there's grain sacrifices. There's a lot of them. We'll get into them. I'm not going to really spend any time today because I I did kind of give that long introduction. Uh, But keep in mind that this is written so that the people and we might know that God desires to dwell with his people. And that is the whole point of Leviticus. In fact, it's the whole point of the Bible. How does the Bible end? Revelation chapter 22, uh, 21 and 22, we see that God brings a new heaven and a new earth, and, and the new heavens come down, uh, the, the new heaven comes down from heaven to earth, the new Jerusalem, and the city of God is on earth, and God dwells with his people. It's beautiful. That's, that's the point. And Leviticus is one step of the way that points us to Jesus, the one who will do all this for us. All right, so let us jump over to the Gospel of Matthew. Sorry, the Gospel of Mark. Here we are in chapter, the end of chapter 1. We saw yesterday that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We know it as readers. Uh, here we see a yesterday an unclean spirit knows it. Uh, the Holy Spirit knows it because the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was baptized, uh, ripped the heavens and came down. 
the Father, the voice from heaven, knows it. John, the Baptist, in many ways, knows it because Jesus is the mighty one. Uh, he's not even worthy to unlasten his sandals. There are many who know it, but most of the people don't yet know it. Some of the people yesterday said, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Who is this guy? How can he do this? How can he command even unclean spirits? So this gospel is about the process of people figuring out who Jesus is. Who is this man? Well, we pick up today and Jesus heals many people. I love how he heals Simon's mother-in-law who lives in his house and they bring people to to heal him. This is something that Muhammad and uh, Buddha and Zoroastri, Zoro, Zoro, Zoroastro, whatever his name is, like this is unusual, <laughs> all this to say. Jesus not only teaches, he has power to do things that others cannot do, which should be a good sign for us. Uh, I love also the part, well, did you catch this, the word immediately? I think it shows up 43 times in the Gospel of Mark. Immediately Jesus did this. Immediately Jesus does that. And so you think that all in the, the busyness that uh, Jesus is just a busy man from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And in some ways that's how Mark portrays him. Jesus is a man of action. But part of his action is getting by himself and praying. He prays to his Father and and he spends the time doing that. We see that in chapter 1 that he goes out back to the wilderness to a desolate place and he prays. And no doubt he is praying for his new disciples who are following him. He prays about the other towns that he will go to. Likely he prays the Psalms that we are also praying. And we pray them in his name. I, I, I've, I've turned time and time again to the section in Mark chapter 1 verse 40 to 45. It's just a beautiful picture where a man with a skin disease, leprosy or something like it, comes up to Jesus and says, uh, he kneels before him and says, if you will, you can make me clean. That is a man of faith. He knows that Jesus can make him clean. And he, and he asks him, if you will, if you are willing, I know you can do it, make me clean. And Jesus says, moved with pity. And the Greek word there, is actually something like he harumphed. He, his guts moved him. Uh, it's almost like he's angry at, the, at not the man, but the fact that the man is not yet in a restored condition. He's not yet living the new creation life. And so Jesus is moved with pity. He stretches out his hands and he touches him and said to him, I will, or I am willing, be clean. So think about Leviticus, how, and we'll read this, how, how difficult it was to become cleansed. Not impossible. It was actually uh, by the grace of God, he provided means, all these animals that would be sacrificed. But by a word, Jesus says, I will, I am willing, be clean. And he he touches him. Actually, we don't have that. Um, yeah, he does. And he touched him and said to him, be clean. So by a word, by a touch, Jesus does this thing. And uh, verse 42 is great. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And so Jesus sends him back to the priest to, to prove almost like, hey, there's a rabbi who healed me. Go tell the priests. And we'll read about this, especially in Numbers, uh, how this was to be done. Once you were cleansed, you were to then show yourself to the priest and then be 
admitted back into regular society. All right. We also have this awesome, awesome story how four friends, is it four? Yeah, I believe I didn't read this today. I apologize. I read it earlier. Some friends bring to Jesus a man who's paralyzed. Isn't that great? A great picture. I know many of my listeners, many of you all, by your prayers and by your your words, you are bringing people to Jesus. You are longing that this paralyzed person in your life, maybe they're not literally paralyzed, but to Jesus, they're as good as dead. They're not alive to Jesus. You, just like Jesus was moved to pity, you are moved to pity and you bring these people to Jesus. And Jesus, what does he do? Well, he says to them, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Wow. This guy, this guy likely, now did they bring this man to Jesus because he he needed his sins forgiven? No, Uh, but that's what Jesus does for him. He forgives sin. And we might often think, we do say this in the Lutheran church, and it, it sometimes turns into cliche that that Jesus brings to us forgiveness, life, and salvation. And the you know scholars of the church have put this together that if we have forgiveness, we have everything else. If we have forgiveness from God, from our holy and righteous God, then yeah, we will also have life and salvation. He will make all things well. Here, he will make all things well for this man. But there are some who, who don't think that, Jesus, this is not the way that uh, a man is forgiven. You do not go to a prophet or rabbi to be forgiven. You go to the temple, and Jesus is showing that he is the temple. He is the new temple. Some of the scribes question, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Only God only God can forgive sins. Who can do that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Are they right? Yes, only God can forgive sins can forgive the sins against God. So they are right, but they are just wrong about who Jesus is. So immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves. So just to pause, Jesus says things like, uh, when when the Son of Man returns, no one knows, uh, not the angels, not the Son, but only the Father. So on earth, Jesus did limit his knowledge, but he still had a supernatural knowledge. He perceived and knew things that people were thinking, like he does here. Sorry, parentheses ended. (laughs) So he asked them, "Why why do you question these things in your heart? What's easier to say your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And he did. And they glorify God. And they say, we've never seen anything like this. Wow. These words, verse 10, I believe are, are especially um, written to the believers that, uh, of course, to all of us, to every single one of us. But again, this gospel was written to the believers in Rome who were tempted uh, to abandon Jesus because of the persecution and perhaps maybe even faltered like Peter and denied Jesus. But that you may know, Jesus says to them, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus comes to forgive. And what a beautiful thing. And he proves it. He proves it here by raising this man 
uh, from a life of, of being paralyzed. And just as he will prove by his resurrection from the dead. All right. Well, we're going to stop there and rejoice that God comes to forgive and then with that give us life and salvation. All right. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.